two lights. Okay, well, let's pray and we'll get going. Father, we thank you for your word and for your presence and for giving us an opportunity to study who you are, for you are love, and we thank you that not only do you love us, but you, you give your love to us and place it within us and allow us to love you and others. Teach us and open our eyes in this study in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome to Monday Night Bible Study. As always, it's my favorite night of the week because we get to really dive into some topics. And uh, last Saturday, Pastor Jay ministered an excellent message on love. What's love got to do with grace? Absolutely everything. So we really got some good nuggets out of that. And I just kind of want to continue along that same path and just look at the subject of love a little deeper because what's a grace experience without love, right? So if you would, we'll start in our favorite place, the Gospel of John. Take a look at the 13th chapter, John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it should be pretty easy to find. And we'll read the 34th verse, which says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he goes on to say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's such an awesome passage of scripture. I think it's one that we've heard and we've looked at, but I don't know if we've necessarily captured the full intensity of what that really means. Jesus says, everyone will know you're my disciples, not by prophecy, not because you lay hands on people and they fall out, not because you speak in tongues, not because you have a lot of money, not because you're super poor. He says, they'll know you by your love one for another. So if, if we have love for each other, that's how we know that we're God's disciples or Jesus' disciples. That's how other people can tell. That's an outward sign. We talk a lot about being free in grace and, and the freedoms that we have. And yeah, we're totally free. Thank God we're free from the law and the challenges thereof. But Jesus tells us, love one another. Then he repeats it. He says, you must love one another. Like, he's emphatic with it. And that's how you'll know, or others will know that you're my disciples. This is a new command. So he's saying, this is apart from the law. Because keep in mind, he has a Jewish audience. So with the Jewish audience, they're very familiar with the, the commands of the law, all 613 of them. And they even added some extra. But he's saying, no, forget that. This is a new command. Previous to this, he had been asked, Jesus, what's the greatest command in the law? And he said, well, the greatest command in the law is to love God. Second one's just like it, love each other. But here he says, I'm taking it a step further. I want you to love as I loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Well, let's keep reading in John. We'll go down to the 15th chapter, and we'll find out. 15th chapter, so that should be just a few pages over. And we'll pick up here at verse 12. Jesus kind of reiterates the same thing. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's powerful. He says, this is my, my commandment. I'm giving you a command. Love one another as I have loved you. There's nothing greater than this kind of love. 
when you lay down your life for your friends. That's big. Not family, not your mama or daddy, but friends. If you lay, and, and then he proved it by going to the cross. And he said, after that, he said, and I don't call you servants anymore. Now I call you my friends. So he's like including them in this command, like, this is great love I'm going to show you because I'm going to go and I'm going to lay my life down for you. Not call any of my servants. I call you my friends. And there's no greater love than to lay your life down for friends. So that's kind of a good place to start with it, understanding that, yeah, you know, the Ten Commandments, we've heard them, but I don't think we spend enough time looking at Jesus' command, which is love others as he loved us. Uh, let's continue in this. Let's look at 1 John, the fourth chapter. Because this is important material here. 1 John, the fourth chapter. So that's just a few pages before Revelation. And we'll pick up at the 16th verse. And it says, Exodus 2.15, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. That's big, but we're going to keep going. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Not God has love, not God loves, but God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So John here is really making himself crystal clear. He's saying God is love. Whoever lives in God lives in, in love. Whoever God lives in is going to love, and whoever lives in God is going to love. So he's, it's these two puzzle pieces that just fit together. It's like, if you guys don't understand this, I'm just going to make it clear. God is love. And if you want to know how you're living in God, look at love. So I think that's important for us to realize because sometimes, you know, in defense of the gospel, it's, it's big here in, in the United States where we're, we're always defending and defending the faith and defending the gospel and we're getting caught up in all these issues that honestly are not the gospel. They're total side issues. They're rabbit trails, bunny trails, whatever you want to call them. But we get caught up in these things, and then we forget that Jesus said, a new command I give, love one another as I have loved you. Then John, of course, iterates that God is love. Whoever loves is living in God. Whoever lives in God is going to love. So it really does boil down to love. Sometimes they say, oh, you want to paint Jesus's is all love and all kindness and all this and give you goosebumps and warm and fuzzies. Well, yeah, that's because God is love. Now, love is not easy. Love is not going to give you goosebumps all the time if you really look at love. Love is a lot more work than I think we sometimes think about. I think we think about the butterfly aspect, like romantic love, or like when we see a little baby, we're like, oh, the baby's so precious. And we see that as love, which of course it is. But love is far greater than that. Love is a, a, a very intensive subject or, or being. Or Let's just look at it. Let's just go there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm trying to explain something that the Bible says clearly, so we'll look at it. 1 Corinthians 13. This is known as the love chapter because it really details just what love is. And we'll probably read most of the chapter, so starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but new, do not have love, I am only a, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So 
just right off the bat, it's like if you're speaking in tongues, you got the spiritual gifts, but you don't love, well, you're just making noise. Then it goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that's some deep stuff. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, that's like the Jesus kind of faith that he talked about. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. Not just I have nothing, but I am nothing. So he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Well, why is that? Because as we just read, God is love and God is all. So he goes on to say, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to tell us exactly what love is. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's a lot right there. Prophecies, they'll pass away. Knowledge, that'll fade. But love, love remains after everything else is gone. Love, love, love remains. And so let's back up to verse 4. Love is patient. So what's that mean? It means God is not in a hurry for anything, including you to get grown up. So sometimes we get people in church, we get them saved one week. Next week, we want them to go lead a crusade. We don't give them time to grow up. Well, love is patient. And so God is patient because God is love. What else is love? Love is kind. Hmm. Interesting, right? So if love is kind and God is love, then God is kind. Kind of dispels that mean God myth, right? It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. That means God isn't prideful. Jesus proved that when he got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. He's not proud. He goes on to say, love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. So sometimes we get caught up in this, we got to praise God before we'll do this. Nope, it's not self-seeking. So we don't have to puff God up to, to get what we need. It's not easily angered. Sometimes we think, uh-oh, God is mad at us. We did something and, and now God's going to get us. Yeah, that's not quite right either, right? It keeps no record of wrongs. That's a big one. 
you know, I was always taught growing up when I, when I got to heaven, there's going to be this big screen, kind of like our screens there, and it was going to show a DVD of my life. And everything I did wrong was going to play for the whole world to see. And then God was going to weigh those wrongs against my right. And whichever one was heavier, well, if, it was, if the good was heavier, then I got to go to heaven. But if the bad was heavier, and I had to go downstairs. So here we find out love keeps no record of wrongs. Keep a finger there, and let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. For those of you that are digital, I guess you don't have to keep a finger. You can just click. I still like using a Bible, and I'm trying to use a couple different ones. Uh, I used to have a King James Bible that I would teach out of, and it just honestly it was from habit and form and fashion. The church that I was from said, King James, that's the authorized version. Well, King James authorized it. It's not like God authorized it. So we have some other ones we can use. And I'm just kind of finding the one that fits right right now. So uh, did you find Hebrews? We're going to look at the eighth chapter. And if you follow the ministry, you know that we're here quite often. But we're just going to take a look at a couple verses here. So starting at verse 10, it says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind. What is the law, commandment? Love others as I have loved you. That's what he's writing. I will write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This is the part I wanted to get to. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So that sounds kind of like that love chapter. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I'll remember their sins no more. They really go hand in hand. Something else I want to point out here is the word covenant can also be translated will or testament. So you know how older people in particular, they'll leave their last will and testament. You know, So they're leaving... 20,000 to Sally, 50,000 to Sue, and the house to Bob. They will that. And after that person dies, there's no change in the will. Well, what we just read was God's will. Jesus died, and there's no change in that will. Jesus died, he said, in my blood is the, this is the seal of the new covenant. This is shed for the remission of sins. So all of this really goes hand in hand. Love is, God is, you can transpose them together because it's the same thing. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God keeps no record of wrongs. So what's that mean? When we go to say, Lord, forgive me for X, Y, Z, which is a good thing to do. You should, if you do something wrong, it's good to feel sorrow, sorrow about that or, or feel remorse or, or regret it. But don't think that God is holding it against you. When you go to him and say, Lord, forgive me, he's like, yep, I did already. I'm not holding a record. I'm not keeping that wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the, tr with the truth. Grace and truth came with Jesus, right? So we see how all of this just, the Bible is amazing. Everything just kind of flows together. And, and if you really take the time to read it with the right glasses on, with the right perspective, you'll see things that in, that'll just blow you away. Because even though I'm, I'm ministering this message, it's ministering to me because I'm like, man, all of this stuff, I mean, you would think that one person wrote it. Uh, one, one guy kind of did, this God. So then it goes on, verse 8. Actually, verse 7, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So what's that saying? God is 
always protecting you. You can't get from under the hand of protection. Sometimes we'll teach, well, if you sin, you're taking yourself out of God's protection. No, it always, always, always protects. Well, you know, God's got to test you to see if he can trust you. Well, it says it always trusts. So if God always trusts, does he have to test you to see if you're trustworthy? No, he doesn't because he always trusts. That means if you mess it up, he still trusts you to try it again. Love, love, love. So what else does love do? Um, always hopes. That means God is always hoping for the best. Always hoping for the best. Always hoping for the best. That means you can mess up, and God is still hoping for the best out of you. I hammer that because for too long we have focused on trying to get people to do right. No, people need to believe right. Because what happens is we imitate what we think God is like. If we think God is holding wrongs, we'll be justified. Well, God's going to get you. I read two posts today um, by a minister, a recent Bible college graduate, and I was really kind of disheartened because the posts were, well, you better get right before you die and find out, you know, there is a hell. Well, if you don't believe in God now, when you die, you'll wake up and find out that there is a God and you'll be begging, but it's too late. You're going to go to hell. And I'm like, that is not what people need to hear. The Bible says he gave us a ministry of reconciliation, First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. A ministry of reconciliation, not a ministry of you're going to go to hell if you don't believe. Keep going in here. I'm going to get off on a tangent. Verse 8, love never fails. If love never fails, that means God never fails. And guess what? If God lives in you, that means you have the ability to do all these things we just talked about. Everything, every single thing that we just said, you can do. You say, no, I, I can't forgive easily. Well, if you say you can't, then you might need to change what you're saying because you're not agreeing with the word. Let's look at something. Let's go back to 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 1. I want to clear this up while we're talking about love. I don't believe that we've addressed it in service before. 1 John chapter 1, we'll start at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now that passage has been used to say, God is going to forgive you after you confess your sin. Well, according to Scripture, the, the bulk of Scripture, that's not the case. Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. So he's not shedding his blood so that you have the ability to, to be forgiven. He shed it so that you are forgiven. It's something that's already complete, something that's already been done. So if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us, um, I don't think we have the right interpretation. Maybe what we should be looking at is if we confess our sin, confess is the word homologio, which means to say the same thing. And so if we say the same thing that God has said about our sin, then we know that our sin is already forgiven. Because what did we read? Love keeps no record of wrong. We also read that 
I will remember their sins no more. So we've got two things going on back to back here where it says, I'm not remembering sin. So why would we think that we have to confess it to God and say, hey, please forgive me of my sin. Please, I'm begging you, before he'll actually do it. That's not the case. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin because he's shed the blood of Jesus, because it's something he's made a decision to do in advance. So I think that we just need to clear that up there and, and kind of get the fear out of it. Because sometimes I, I know personally, before I would go to bed, I'd say, Lord, please forgive me for any sin that I, I forgot to confess or just forgive me for sins I committed, sins of omission, things I didn't know were sin. I'd just be begging for forgiveness because I didn't want to go to sleep and, and not wake up and end up going to hell over a sin I forgot about. Because I, I thought that passage meant I had to confess it before I would be forgiven. In fact, we would do whole altar calls. People, if you have unconfessed sin, come up here to the altar and confess it before God. Well, I don't think that that's right. I think that paints a bad picture. So let's keep going with the lesson. Let's go over to Galatians. We'll look at the fifth chapter, book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. And we're just talking about what is love, continuing where Pastor Jay left off. Okay, so Galatians 5, and we'll read the 14th verse. Actually, no, verse 13. I do that a lot. I'll see the, the verse before it, and I'm like, let's get that one too. So, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's why our church is Freedom Life, Grace Church. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love and we just read what love was love is patient love is kind for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command the entire thing all of it all 613 portions it says love your neighbor as yourself wow the whole law is fulfilled in one command love your neighbor as yourself now of course we're not under the law and that's what galatians is talking about it, it gives us a lot about you know, being free from the law and we're not under it. And if you break one portion, you broke it all. But here he says, the whole thing is fulfilled in love. Sometimes people say, well, you got to keep some of the law. You got to keep the moral law or you got to keep this portion. But no, that's not the case. Jesus fulfilled the law. He said, not one jot or tittle pass away till all be fulfilled. Here we see very clearly love fulfills the law. Let's look at it somewhere else, too. Let's go to Romans, Romans 13. I want you to see this in a couple places. Never just take my word for it. You need to see it in the Bible. I think that that's very important because preachers will say some things and just be wrong. But we know the word of God is unchanging. So Romans 13, verse 10. Actually, no, let's back up to 8. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That's pretty clear. And it goes on to say the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in all the laws, and notice he only named a couple of the commandments out of the 10 commandments. That's what he was quoting from. He says all of it's fulfilled. Everything else, whatever other command there could be, 
It's fulfilled in the law, in, in the law of love. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God is love. It's the fulfillment of the law. So when we try to, to put ourselves under these bondages of things like tithing, that's a law thing. If we put ourselves under bondage of, I've got to confess my sin before I'm forgiven, that's bondage, that's fear, that's, that's not Bible, that's not scripture, that's not what God's heart is. We just saw in two places, love is the fulfillment of all the law. That means every single piece of it, from, from the smallest aspect to the biggest, it's fulfilled in the commandment of loving one another. Let's look at one more spot, and then we'll get, get ready to wrap up here. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. And before we actually read it, we're going to read verse 40. But something that I was thinking about as I was looking at what are these commands is the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission is go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And you'll do this and you'll do that. And I'm with you even until the end of the age. That, since I've been studying this new covenant and understanding that, well, the age of Moses did come to an end and we're in a new age and all of that, I'm like, well, Jesus said he'll be with us to the end of the age. So is he gone? Because he did send the new comforter. So the Holy Spirit is here now. So I had to kind of figure that out. Well, the Great Commission actually was not to us. It was to his 11 disciples. So sometimes our admissions was good. I, I believe in missions with my heart, and I'll continue to do missions, and we'll, we'll continue to do overseas work and reach out into the community. But that's just modeling the character of Jesus. It's not following the commission because he said, this is the command I give you. And in other places, we won't look at it tonight for sake of time. But it just talks about how love is the fulfillment of the command. It, it's the only command. Believe in Jesus. Love as he loved. So just wanted to throw that out there. We'll, we'll clean it up and make it nice and pretty next time we talk about missions. But I thought it was important to say. So we'll start at verse 37. No, we'll th 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now these are basically the theologians of the day. They're the, the great professors. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now what's interesting is the question that he was asked is, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And we've taken this verse and said, what is it that we as Christians in the New Testament are supposed to do? Well, we can't possibly actually fulfill that. We can't love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Why? Because we're a work in progress. I mean, we can pretend, oh, I love him so much. But do you love him with all your mind? I mean, every piece of it? Is your every thought, your intellect? Because it's important to understand that Christianity is not a brainless religion. The first thing he says is with your mind. But do we love him with all of it? Or are there pieces of it that we're still getting in order? Are we still being renewed in that area? I think we are. But what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then we read earlier Paul saying, the, 
the entire law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the importance of understanding love, understanding that love is patient, love is kind. If it's not like these things that we've read tonight, if it's not like 1 Corinthians 13, it's not like God. So if you ever hear a preacher preaching something and it makes God sound anything different than 1 Corinthians 13, then you can understand, well, that preacher doesn't have an understanding of who God is, how God operates, and what his character exudes. So I just want to close with uh, 1 Corinthians 13 one more time. I think it's important that we just see this. And this time, instead of saying love is, we're going to say God is because God is love. We saw that in 1 John chapter 4. So 1 Corinthians 13. getting there. There we go. And we'll read starting at verse 4 through verse 8. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. God always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. God never fails. Well, that in concludes our look at what is love, what's love got to do with grace, absolutely everything. This is one subject that we will never get away from here. I think we can always dive deeper, look at more scriptures on it, improve our love walk line ourselves up more closely. If you find out you're keeping a record of wrong uh, of your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, whomever, realize that that's an area that you can grow in. Sometimes we get caught up in wanting to prophesy and we want to be able to tell people their addresses and that sort of thing, but that's not the greatest. The greatest thing is love. So let's remember to measure ourselves by that, not by our spiritual gifts, not by our talents, not by our bank accounts not by the big house we live in or the fancy car, but let's look at how are we loving one another. We should really look at love, and we'll continue to do that. So if we stand to our feet, we'll confess something over our week this today. Actually, we'll just confess this over ourselves. Uh, Psalm 91 we prayed about this on Saturday, but it's still in the news, and I'm believing for ISIS to, to be saved. I, I don't think we have to bomb everybody in the world. Uh, we might have to, you know, if that's the strategy that our government takes, then that's what they take, but I don't think we have to bomb. I don't think that has to be the case. I think we can pray, and their hearts will be turned. I don't think we have to necessarily send a preacher. I think we can pray. And God can show up in a personal way. When God saved Saul, who we, we know as the Apostle Paul, there was no preacher. It was just God showing up. Jesus literally appeared to him in a vision. I think he can do that for the terrorist groups overseas as well. So um, I'll read this. and I'm just going to declare this over you tonight. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence.
He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's Psalm 91. So declare that self over, or declare that, that scripture over yourself this week. And just know that you are protected. No matter what comes your way, you are protected under the shadow of the Almighty. Amen. Hallelujah.